All right, let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we praise you uh, again, once, once again this morning, that you promise to be with us. Your presence through the power of your Holy Spirit is one that we get to know regularly, consistently, and intimately through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray today, Lord, um, as we reflect on the Reformation and as we reflect on your many faithful moves in the church over hundreds and thousands of years, we pray, God, that we would also be moved to love you, to serve you, to honor you, and to stand up when you call us to stand up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to you all if we haven't met. I'm Andrew, one of the pastors here at Emmanuel. I don't normally stand up here, and you all look small today, but it is Reformation Sunday, and this thing was built for a reason, so we're going to use it occasionally, right? Um, you know, these pulpits were constructed mainly to get the voice of the preacher out over the people. They didn't have microphones, they didn't have things like that, and even when Emmanuel was built, there were not microphones or things, there was no sound system in this church. So naturally, you could all hear me better standing up here without a microphone, uh, but there's also a symbolic purpose in having a pulpit in that you're elevating God's word. You're elevating and respecting the scriptures for what they are and the importance that they bring to the conversation, to our faith, um, and to our hope in Jesus Christ. So, um, although a few of my friends who will not be named rolled their eyes when I said I would be using the pulpit, <laughs> here I am. Here, here I stand, right? All right. Well, it is Reformation Sunday, and we're taking, we, we added a week to our Joining Jesus uh, sermon series. Uh, next week, we're talking about what's our story going to be. We're, we're learning about how, how we can simply and realistically join Jesus on his mission that he has called us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. He invites us into that work. And so next week, what's our story going to be? That's what we're talking about. How are we going to live differently? How are we going to be transformed through Jesus Christ, through the gospel, and through the work that he's invited us to take part in. And so today I wanted to reflect, what has our story been? Not so much as me individually, not so much as Emmanuel as a local congregation, but in terms of the Reformation, why and how did God move in the way that he did through the Reformation, and what can we still learn about those truths that were stood upon today, and how can they impact our faith? So we've talked about recently, many times we learn from those who have gone before us, and especially those sort of bold people in our culture or in the church who have made a big splash, right? We talk frequently about those who have passed away, like your Billy Graham, which came up last week, and uh, somebody I know, Dallas Willard, he was an incredible author, um, and this idea of spiritual formation and becoming more like Jesus Christ, so he's one of those people for me. Uh, then C.S. Lewis, you've all heard of C.S. Lewis, and John and Charles Wesley, and of course Martin Luther, uh, and many, many others who have made this sort of big splash in their boldness in how they learn and follow and grow in Christ and then articulate that message to the people around them. And there's a reason that we talk frequently about them, right? Sometimes there's certain people and events that God's power works in and through through Jesus Christ, that leave ripples across time, this idea of ripples. If you cast a stone in a still pool, it creates ripples, right? You know, last week I mentioned some what-ifs in my sermon. What if Billy Graham thought the gospel would be a private thing, should be a private thing? We wouldn't know who Billy Graham is today. What if 
What if Martin Luther did not act in boldness when he saw things in the church that were inconsistent with God's word? And for my own life, what if a couple of people or pastors in my life were not faithful to God's call to proclaim truth to me and minister to me? Um, Those people have created ripples across time. I, I am a ripple today. I am a ripple. I'm not the flat potato chip. I'm the one that's wavy and has ripples in it, right? But, but I'm here by God's grace because of somebody before me who was faithful. Somebody before me who was faithful to the faith, to the scriptures, to God working in and through them. And so you all are also ripples this morning. If you find yourself here as a follower of Jesus... Or if you're just checking out the faith, it's likely that you know somebody or have known somebody who was a follower of Jesus who was faithful and impacted your life because of what God had done in theirs. So God's story is one of big splashes and enduring ripples and sometimes subtle little bloops and little ripples. And we are in it. We are in God's story. The countless acts and testimonies of God's people intersect here this morning, right? Hundreds, thousands of little ripples are intersecting here in this room this morning. And we should give pause today and reflect on God's goodness, both personally and corporately as the body of Christ. So Reformation Sunday, 505 years ago tomorrow, October 31st, is the day when Martin Luther posted the 95 theses or critiques on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And there were some big events that led up to that, right? This wasn't just a standalone thing that he decided to do someday, and I won't go into Martin Luther's life history today, but there's a lot of events that came after this as well that really impacted and shaped what we know today as church in the Western world. And so before we dig into the scriptures this morning, humor me as I zoom out a little bit from the Reformation uh, and remind you a little bit of what it was all about, uh, historically and politically, uh, many different things were going on at that time. So first, in terms of the church, when Martin Luther and some others in that era started to uh, read and study God's word for themselves, they found that much of what was seen in the church was not consistent with God's word as revealed in the scriptures, in the Bible. Churches would keep certain aspects of the faith from people. They would kind of close it off. And church leaders would do things like selling indulgences. If you don't know what an indulgence is, it's a for sale merit that would offer to lessen your time in purgatory. That you would essentially be buying some forgiveness for your sins Now, obviously, that's not something we teach today. If you believe that, please let me just stop that belief right now and say that is not uh, why Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus paid the entire price for your forgiveness. And so this teaching and many others were sort of flying in the face of what Scripture said about salvation and how we are to live in light of that salvation. The Bible was typically only read and understood by a priest, uh, we watched a little video in confirmation this morning about that, and, and the guy in the video said, you typically knew one person in your whole life that could read the scriptures for themselves, and that was your local priest, because they were written in Latin, and nobody spoke Latin in Europe at the time of the Reformation. It was becoming a dead language. And so today we have a Bible in almost every home, 
every house. There's 100 or so Bibles sitting in the pews here with you today. In my case, there's dozens of Bibles in my house probably. But back then, the Bible was only in the hands of the church leader or the academics. And so this and the indulgences and the teachings that were inconsistent with God's word, these things led to a needed reformation, a reforming of the church. And Martin Luther didn't desire to split off from the Catholic Church. He desired to reform the church, to bring through study, through conversation, and through revival, an idea which this church that existed would begin looking more like scriptures and less like what it had become. But as history tells us, Luther and many of his companions were excommunicated from the church. They were removed from the church. In today's vernacular, they were canceled by the church for being faithful to God's word. And that sort of persecution still happens in churches today. So the church was in need of reform, but the world and the culture was also a really volatile place as well. So if you studied history, um, you know that the church for any particular country in Europe in that time was dictated by the ruler of the country. So uh, all the rulers were Catholic, and there was this really tight relationship between the Vatican and the rulers of many of these European countries. And since Constantine legalized Christianity way back in the 300s, that sort of unhealthy marriage of church and state began in a way that they worked with and for each other in the terms of power struggle, not necessarily in terms of proclaiming the faith. Other than the fact that forcing religion on people wasn't a good thing, there was really just one church at that time, and that was the Catholic Church. There was one church in Europe. And so this wasn't a big deal if there was one church, but the Reformation took root, and then other spin-offs and expressions of faith and understandings of the Scripture took root, and now you have multiple different churches. You had your Methodists and your, Pente your Anglicans and your Baptists and your Lutherans and so forth. And so in that time... What happened if the Catholic ruler was taken over and now your king was Lutheran or Anglican or Episcopalian? That means that if you were Catholic yesterday because your king was Catholic, today you are now Lutheran or whatever faith that that king held. Like this was hand in hand. You couldn't separate those two things. Now imagine if the whole country in the United States back in the 60s um, had, be, had to become Catholic when JFK was sworn into office. There would have been some outcry probably, right? People wouldn't have thought that would be a very good thing. Um, it was this sort of religious persecution in Europe rooted in the government that eventually came to cause a new way of government, governing. And in many ways, uh, a lot of the values of freedom and freedom of religion and things that we have in our country today came as a result of the Reformation. People didn't like being dictated, dictated what to believe, how to believe it by the ruler in the political class that happened to be over them at any time. And so that's a little bigger picture shot at the Reformation. Uh, and one last note on that, there was this big time invention that was as big as the internet was to us. This big time invention came onto the scene uh, 50 to 75 years before Martin Luther. How did they spread these ideas and these words so well and so effectively. And how did they get this Bible, which Luther translated and worked hard to translate into German and the common tongue so people could read it, how did thousands of people end up with that Bible? It was the printing press. 
It's safe to say that if all of this Reformation movement had happened 50 or 100 years earlier, it wouldn't have succeeded. It just wouldn't have. The time was ripe, the tools were there. Martin Luther and these other people used the tools at hand to start bringing about a change and a correction and a reformation in a church, trying to call the church back to the true gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in scriptures. And the rest, as they say, is history, right? So there's some major scriptures that sparked the Reformation. And perhaps the biggest one of these we find in Romans, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It reads like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A righteousness that is by faith. The righteousness that Jesus lived with, that we cannot hope to live with, through faith in Jesus, becomes our own. We clothe ourselves with that righteousness. Now, this isn't about buying yourself out of purgatory or exchanging money for forgiveness of your sins. You can't earn it. You can't purchase it. But by faith, we experience that forgiveness. This concept is the backbone and the foundation of God's work in and through the Reformation because this wasn't being taught by the church at the time. Another key verse is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In a church history where the faith was spread through conquest and through power and through rulers, this verse tells us there's actually a different way. And the Roman scripture tells us there's a different way. There's a biblical way. There's a Jesus way in how we handle matters of faith and our mission is the church. A Jesus way that spreads faith through grace, through compassion, and through proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. And an argument could be made today that the same Jesus way needs to be more prevalent in our churches and certainly needs to be more prevalent in our culture. Rather than polarized tribalism, that's kind of the the, the phrase or the ideology that governs our culture right now. Polarized tribalism. You find people that believe what you believe and you hang out with them and you don't let challenging ideas make you challenge those beliefs and you eventually move farther and farther apart from beginning to speak the same language or even being on the same page. There's an invitation for God's people to actually live like Jesus, not like somebody else. Speaking truth, yes, but in a way that is loving and compassionate. That's what God's grace is about. That's what faith is about. Another foundation stone of the Reformation is found in our first Peter verses that we heard read this morning. And verses 9 and 10 say this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. I really like that. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The reality of Jesus in our lives transforms us. 
and it transforms us into a priesthood. Why is that important? Why is that idea, that phrase important? One of the main points of the Reformation was that historically the acts or the work of God had been limited to a few people in the church, the priest and just a few others. Just like in the Old, temple, Old Testament temple system, there were just a few people that really had access to God and everybody else had to take their word for it, right? But the scriptures tell us a different story. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, and because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we all get to know God's word. We all get to study God's word. We all get to know God's desires and his heart and his love for humanity. And we all get to participate in it. That's what the priesthood of all believers means. We are all priests, not just me. So a fun story, any of you could be right here where I'm at today, and it, and it wouldn't phase me, and it wouldn't phase Jesus, because we all have gifts, and some of them go this way or that way or this way or that way, and that's fine, but we are all priesthoods of believers. We are all the priests because we all have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We all get to know him, and although this model isn't typically played out super well in the church in America, it needs to be. That's why we're doing this joining Jesus on his mission thing, so that we can all see ourselves as workers and participants in the kingdom of God, not just as consumers. Each and every follower of Jesus needs to realize that in Christ, they are invited and equipped to do any and everything which God calls them to do. And this is why we are okay when someone who is not a pastor here actually preaches and gives a sermon. It's why we're okay when any number of people can visit the sick or the homebound. We're okay when somebody else helps serve communion. We are all capable and called to be part of this royal priesthood. That is our calling in Christ Jesus. So how can I better sum up the fire in my own heart that led me to become a pastor than these things, right? I have a passion that we all realize that we are saved by grace through faith and that we learn how to live from God's grace rather than live in this mentality or attitude that we somehow have to earn God's love and favor. We already have God's love. We already have his favor. And if you ever question that, think of the price of the cross that his own son went to, to pay for our forgiveness. And I have this passion that all in Christ, all of us would participate in the ministry of the church's body. That spectators and consumers at church would become a thing of the past. That's what I would love to see. That we would all become participants and producers of the gospel-proclaiming work of the church. So there's three big takeaways I want you to take away today as we reflect on the purpose of the Reformation and how it still influences us and lights a fire in us today. The first is simple enough. You have God's word in your hands, on your phone, at home, on your nightstand, in the pew in front of you. You have it. So please don't take that for granted and read it. Read God's word. Study God's word. Talk about God's word. Ask questions when there's something you don't understand. Be humble when it challenges your own beliefs and your own thoughts and your own 
actions because God's word transforms us to become more like Christ. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to become more like him. So you have God's word. Read it, please. The second takeaway is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the priesthood of all believers, and you are qualified. You are qualified in Christ to be called and equipped to share in the work of the church, to use your time and your resources and your gifts for the benefit of God's work on this earth. It's not just that person or this person or the guy with the master's degree. You are all qualified to be part of the body of Christ and the work that comes with it. And the third is this. God is going to keep moving. Now, God's not going to move in a way that's inconsistent with his word. God's not going to undermine himself. But God is going to keep moving because of this. Our churches today are not perfect I am not perfect, you are not perfect, we are not perfect. We could add that as a verse to the song of the I am the church song. We are not perfect and so we must accept and embrace the fact that God is going to continue to raise up reformers and prophets and people who will speak truth to us when we go astray. God will continue that. And he'll raise up visionaries and he will help the people of God more fully realize the grace and the life of Christ Jesus our Lord. This is something that God is passionate about. As long as there is sin in the world, there will be straying from God's truth. And so we need to be called back to it time and time again. And God will continue to call people back to his truth and to his word. The everlasting truth of the scriptures and what they reveal about God's heart and character, because God desperately wants us to know his love for us. And that God's going to continue to wake up his church when we become sleepy or passive or too content or even misled. Friends, let us be thankful for the work that God did in the Reformation. We don't worship Martin Luther. We don't worship the Reformation. We worship the God behind those things that transform our own church experience today. Let's not forget those things. Let's be thankful for them. And let's not forget the need to seek God and his kingdom today because God wants to keep moving. He wants us to seek his love and experience it. He wants us to seek his grace and experience the power of forgiveness. He wants us to be filled with his Holy Spirit so that the world that we see outside the doors and in our neighborhoods doesn't have to be the broken, hopeless place that it is. There's a Jesus way. And we get to be part of proclaiming that. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful um, for your truth. We are thankful that you raised up people 500 years ago as you have time and time again who are willing to listen to your word and to your call. And we're thankful, Lord, um, that those people and many more have caused ripples and splashes in a way that affect us today, that challenge us today, in a way today that helps us to see more clearly your love and your grace at work in our lives and in the world. And Lord, we pray this morning (coughs) 
that if there's ways that our lives are not consistent with your truth, Lord, that you would reform us. Lord, that you would speak truth into our lives, that you would, um, you would let us know where we need to be convicted of our own sin and shortfalls, the things that separate us from you, Lord. And we pray, God, that we would be empowered through your Holy Spirit to repent of those things, to turn away from them, and to come back again to the beloved truth that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, been raised from the grave, and now invites us into his work and eternal life. So Lord, today, would you move powerfully in our hearts? Would you move powerfully in this church? Would you move powerfully through your church all across this globe to continue proclaiming the good news that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Lord, we entrust that work to you and your Holy Spirit. Show us how we can join it. Show us how we can be part of it. Help it to shape our own story moving forward from here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.